it's actually warmer up on the stage than it is out there. <laughs> I came up here, it's a little warmer up here. You know, we do take a lot of things for granted, but one thing I do appreciate is that we have a building to use. Even if it's a little bit cold, uh, maybe the Lord did that on purpose to try to keep us awake, uh, you know, for what I'm about to share. But uh, I am thankful that God in his provision has given Centerpoint Bible Church Spring Mills Middle School. He has provided a location in for us to gather as a church family, whether it be hot in the, in the summertime, <laughs> a little bit muggy in the summertime, or cold in the winter. And uh, I'm thankful for it. I know that you all just sat down, but in a second I'm going to have you stand up and chat with one another. And I want to ask this question to you. We used to do this a lot, and we do it every once in, once in a while, and I like doing it. It's called a mixer question. And I want you to chat with each other, and I want you to answer this question. If you could live in any decade or any time period, what would it be, when would it be, and why? Now, I know there's people in here that that I've talked to that, I'd like to live back in this area. I'd like to live in this time period. But uh, if you could live... If you could choose to live in any decade or time period, when would it be and why? I'll share mine real real quick. I think I'd like to live in the 50s. I think I'd like to live in the 50s. I guess because my dad graduated high school in 1957 and I I knew those songs and stuff. And I always kind of thought it'd be kind of neat to live in the 50s with the 1957 Chevy. You know, turn up the, turn the radio up and, you know, and t-shirt and jeans and, uh, and just be able to enjoy that and just see that whole time period, that whole decade. A lot of transition happened in that decade, but I think I would like to live in that time period. So let's stand up. And if you could live in any decade or time period, when would it be and why? Go ahead and do that real quick. As we make our way back to our seats, it's good. I think some, I, Lowell said, Pastor Lowell said, he knew, he's like, I knew you were going to do a mixer question because I love it. I think I, lo- I love it not so much for the question, the interaction, but the sound of, of our church family just kind of talking with one another. I love that buzz sound. So someone just, you know, maybe raise your hand. You're like, what, what dec- is there a decade? Anyone want, you know, any, the, the 90s? Did anyone say the 90s? No one said the 90s, of course. No one said the 90s. So when I grew up in the 90s. So, anyways, what, what, what? Bill. Oh, look at you, Bill. Look at you. Honestly, and I'm glad too. I, I lean on you a lot. Anyone? Any, any decade? Anyone? Decade? Go. Which one? 1880s? Advances right before the. Okay, I don't, okay cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what to do with that, but it sounds awesome. I would love to go back to the 1880s or at least watch someone else go back to the 1880s. <laughs> you know. Yes, Billy. So the rules are any time period. Any time period. Ooh, you dirty. I mean, actually, actually, you clean. You clean. That was good. That was good. I'm surprised people didn't say like the, you know, we do have the 1880s, you know. Any of the 60s or 50s? Yes. I was, I'm glad you said that. I thought people might say that too. You know, the time that Christ walked on the earth. Sometimes we have different reasons why we want to, when we think about this or let our mind wander a little bit of what decade or time period we want to go to. It could be because we want to visit famous people or visit our Savior, or walk beside where our Savior walked, or walk with our Savior, you know, or being free from, free from sin, that would be, I look forward to that. I, I really do. I really do. Um, but there's a lot of different reasons why people would say things that they would, you know, that, of reasons why. And I wrote a couple down uh, to experience the past. Uh, they think it's simpler 
simpler. Oh, just simpler time to just go out and about 10 hours a day I just chop wood. And then I come in and then I burn wood. And then I get up and I chop wood. It was simple. Simple back then, you know. <laughs> simple might also be a little harder. Or they thought it was easier. Easier back then. Too complex, too difficult now. But one, I like to ask this question to people. But something that would always come up is, it's a, back then it was a lot less stressful. A lot less stressful. I didn't have to worry about this. I just had to go do this and go to my job and come back and, you know, and talk with the gray hairs and stuff. They always hearken back to when they were younger and the simpler days and less stressful times and things like that. So uh, as we end this Christmas season, I want you to think about this time for people in general. This just time frame, you know, from Thanksgiving to to Valentine's Day, but really right now at this time, we just finished Christmas. We are, um, you know, we took down our tree. I know, is that, did anyone else take down a tree already? We're ahead of the game. Okay, yeah, 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 we took down our tree. Our tree was coming down on its own. You know, all the needles were falling, so we said, we better get this thing out of here. Or else we'll just have a stick, you know. But, uh, so we took down our tree and transitioning things, but if you think about the Christmas season, What is the Christmas season for people? Time for parties and gatherings. Time to get together with everybody for the holidays. Time to travel. Time to travel. You know, see family members. Get together with family. Spend a lot of time with family. You know, scheduling. You know, you schedule your amount of time away from work. Um, You know, you get to buy presents for people. You know, you, you enjoy that. You can either think of it like that. Or you could think of it like... Time for parties. You got to get together with people. Got to travel. Got to travel. Oh, get together with family. With family. I got I to schedule time. Schedule time, my work time away from my work. And we have to buy presents. Buy all those presents. See, we can look at it a couple of different ways. Often, I've felt over the past I don't know, eight or ten years, maybe I'm becoming like an Ebenezer Scrooge or something, which one of my favorite movies is A Christmas Carol. But uh, I feel as if each Christmas, it becomes more commercialized, and it goes by quicker, and then by the time we get just to the moment to celebrate, it's over, and they're already pushing. What are they pushing in Walmart? We just talked about it this morning. What are they pushing? Valentine's Day stuff already, already in Walmart. It's like the, the grind, the, the world grind is, is pushing and squeezing and, and you know, devouring people. And the machine must keep moving. And over the past couple of years, I just kind of felt that way. And uh, I try to take Pastor Tim's example and put Christmas music on because he loves Christmas music, and I take that as an example from him, that I try to put Christmas music on and listen to it and uh, try to get myself into the Christmas spirit and underst- you know, processing through Christmas and enjoy it. But for some people, from Thanksgiving to Valentine's Day, it's not a, it's not a pleasant time. It is not a pleasant time. You know, there's a, a lot of people end up taking their own life in this time frame, from Thanksgiving to Valentine's Day. But, uh, you know, we, we do our best. We do our best to put our, put our good faces on. And I want, to, I, want to see this, uh, I want to see this little commercial here that I have. Hopefully, hopefully we'll get the sound and everything will work okay. Let's take, this is a, com- a little commercial. Let's, let's play. I'm Stanley Johnson. I've got a great family. I've got a four-bedroom house and a great community. Like my car? It's new. I even belong to the local golf club. How do I do it? I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. I can barely pay my finance charges. Somebody help me. Need a smart way to consolidate your debt? At LennyTree.com, <laughs> banks compete. You choose the loan that's right for you. When banks compete, you win at LennyTree.com. That's how I feel. Like our society is sometimes. Hey, how you doing? Great. I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. Have a great day. He's driving on the mower. Somebody please help me. 
<laughs> you know? Well, <clears throat> I think we do a good job of putting that face on. I think we do a good job. We do a good job coming to church and putting that face on. And our family members see the, see the real us or people that we love and that we're close to. But that's why God designed the church so that we can actually take that little mask off and say, I'm hurting. And have someone take their mask off and say, me too. And then, then join together and look to try to find true answers in God's word. And that's what I want to do today. I want to I look into God's word. And the, t- the title is The Answer to Anxiety. And I even struggled with putting that as a title for... Uh, for the series to say it's, you know, that, 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 or for this little, this sermon. Because in the end, I don't know if the answer that I'm going to give is the answer that you want. But it's the answer that is the truth. And it's one that we need to, we need to grasp onto and gather around. So um, I thought it'd be good for us to take a look at a couple things. First, I'm going to, I actually wrote it down here. What are we going to do today? We're going to define this stress, worry, anxiety. We're going to define it. We're going to look and see how the Bible defines it. We're going to unpack scripture a little bit in Matthew 6. If you guys want, you can open up your Bibles to Matthew 6. We're going to unpack it a little bit so we can know what it's saying. Then we're going to try to understand Jesus' teaching on it and try to understand it. And then we're going to try to find an answer for it and we're going to do it. Hopefully, my prayer is that we do it. So, usually I pray right before I I read scripture, but I'm going to pray right now before I uh, share a couple things. Excuse me. Let me pray. These moments are your moments, Lord. Uh, May I be a tool and a servant in your hand. Uh, May my words not be mine, but yours. May you speak through me, but more importantly, may you speak through your word that, and, and, and speak into the ears and hearts of those that are listening so that when they leave, they would not hear anecdotes or funny stories or remember these things, but they would remember your word, remember what you say and your standard and your purpose for our lives. Help us to process through this, this I don't want to say issue, Lord, but this, this theme and uh, gain a better understanding of who you are and how we can cope and strive and find an answer to live in this world uh, by trusting in you. Thanks for these moments, and I pray all these things. Your son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. Let me define what stress is, and I did the magical thing by Googling it and looking at a couple definitions, and I want to just give a definition of what stress is, what worry is, what anxiousness, anxiety, however you want to say it. Stress is the state of emotional strain or tension resulting from adverse or demanding circumstances. So this, let me say it again. Stress is, it's emotional strain or tension that happens from demanding circumstances. So you get stress. Some stress is bad. Some stress is good. I mean, if you're stressed out because you don't have enough money, then you, it will push you to go get a better job. If you're stressed out because you don't have something finished in your job, you'll maybe... Stay up later and finish it and accomplish the task. So there, you know, if you're cold, you know, you're stressed out because you're cold, you go out and chop some wood and you put it in the fire and you warm yourself. So there are some stress that, stressors that can be, that can push us in a good way towards something good. But, um, but stress overall can, if, it, if too much of it can be, can be detrimental to you. Worry. Allowing one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. Anxiety, feel, the feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease about something that has an uncertain outcome. That's interesting. It has an uncertain outcome. And a synonym for worry is anxiousness or anxiety. Let's take a look at Scripture and look specifically at Matthew 6, and we're going to start in Matthew 6, verse 25, and we're going to go to, to uh, verse 34. And I chose this because Jesus specifically talks about being anxious in this passage. 
He specifically hits it. So let's see what, let's see what the Lord has to say. Matthew 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value, of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. On the screen, I'll put a statistic up of, of something, and you may not be able to see it very clearly, but um, it's the generations of uh, stress by, genera- by generation. And you notice that the matures, those that were, that were bef- you know, born, I guess, roughly in the 40s, before the 40s, 50s, you know, 3.5, pretty lower stress level. And then it goes the boomers and the Gen Xers. That's my, that's my generation. And the millennials now, the millennials, they're, they're spiked up there. And as they progress and get older, we feel, that we feel stress, we feel anxiety, we feel worry, and we feel it coming more to the forefront, especially, especially now with these millennials becoming mature enough to go in the job scene and go into the, into the real world. I also want to um, share with you a couple of statistics. I did some studies and just in the research of this. And uh, a couple headlines and a couple stats. The Mirror from the United Kingdom reported a rise in panic attacks over the last two years. Now, over the last year, just over the last year itself, I've privately, publicly, and occasionally just bumping into people, they reveal that they have had anxiety attacks, panic attacks, where it's debilitating. And and if you are experiencing that, there are probably people in here in this room that have experienced it or multiple people in this room that have experienced panic attacks. And it's debilitating. And, uh, and, and it's, it's overwhelming. Fortune magazine just this year reported that social media, I know some of you are like big social media people or anti-social media people, social media is fueling a scary trend for teen anxiety. And uh, the article went on to talk about how the lack of sleep that comes from it and the always your mind is always on. And uh, there was a guy that quoted, I didn't write it down, but he said it used to be before social media, you met with a bunch of people and then you went home. You know, and now what you do is you go and meet with a bunch of people and then you go home and you take, you have those pictures that you have of the meeting with the people and then you send them to the people that you just met with and then you talk about those, those, those pictures of, of the people that you've met with and had the thing and then you create stories about it and then you send it around and then everyone shares the stories of the pictures of the meeting that they had. So what happens is you, your brain doesn't turn off and that ends, ends up being lack of sleep and then there are other type of issues. American College Health Association found significant increase in reports of overwhelming anxiety. 50% in 2011, up to 62% in 2016. Where, have you ever had a, the question was, have you ever had a moment of overwhelming anxiety? Half the people said that they had in 2011. And up to 62% in 2016. In the last 10 years, anxiety, stress, worry, has overtaken depression as the most common reason for seeking counseling services. So 10 years ago, it would have been depression. I'm depressed. And now over the past 10 years, anxiety has overtaken that for why people seek counseling, seek counsel from professional counseling. This one I thought was interesting. Higher Education Research Institute of UCLA, they began doing something in the early 80s. They asked a series of questions to all the incoming freshmen. And one of the questions was, uh, do you feel, feel overwhelmed with all you have to do? 
1985, 18% of the freshmen said, I feel overwhelmed with all I have to do. Now, we'll fast forward to 2010, it was up to 30%. 30% of incoming freshmen said, I feel overwhelmed with all I have to do. That was 2010. The fall of 2016, it had jumped to 41%. 41% of freshmen that came in said, I feel overwhelmed with all I have to do. Now, we may, in one way, shape, or, or another, every single one of us experienced stress, anxiousness, worry, a struggle that's within us, that wells up within us. So I read Jesus's, what Jesus was teaching on in the Beatitudes. We're actually jumping right in the middle of the Beatitudes. And he takes a moment, a few verses, and he hits being anxious. And in those verses that we just read, three times in those few verses, he literally says, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. So for me, I want to find out why he's saying these things. The Beatitudes, if you don't know about the Beatitudes, it really is the, it's the, actually, excuse me, the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's the longest time frame of Jesus' specific preaching and teaching that we have in the New Testament, in the Gospels, where he goes in Matthew 5, he comes, he sees all the people, he sits down, people gather around, and he begins to teach them. And then if you go from Matthew 5 and Matthew 6 and Matthew 7, he hits just about every topic you could ever imagine. He hits all these topics from adultery to prayer to fasting to, uh, to anxiety and anxiousness. And we're jumping in in the middle of him discussing um, provision in a, in a way of being, in being anxious in that provision. So if we look at Matthew 6, verse 25, the first lines it says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. So what I did, just like I Googled the definition of stress, I did the, I did the old type, time version of Googling. I pulled out my Strong's Concordance, this big thick book. It has a bunch of little numbers and such in it. And I tried to figure out what is actually is that word anxious right there, the very first uh, time it says anxious there. And it is the word merim neo. If any Greek scholars, please correct me on my pronunciation. Uh, merim neo. Merim neo. And uh, it's, a, it's an interesting word. It happens about 19 times in, in, in Scripture. Interestingly, six times specifically here. A third of it right here spoken in this passage. But the word really, de- the, the root word of it means a part as opposed to a whole. Which I thought that was curious. A part as opposed to a whole. And if you think of it figuratively, it's to go to pieces. Or to be pulled apart. Who's the old singer? I fall to pieces. Na, 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 na. You know, I, Patsy Klein. She's she down here in Winchester, I think, right? And uh, so I fall to pieces. So we say, oh, this person's falling to pieces, or I'm falling to pieces. That literally goes all the way back to the Greek word merimneo, or to be pulled, pulled apart. Which is also interesting in the context of the passage because um, he talks about us, our minds and our hearts being divided, being divided with things. So um, 19 times in the New Testament, six times in Matthew, five times in Luke, a.k.a. the parallel passage of this. And Paul actually references it about seven times, this exact word. So let's jump in here. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. Whenever you see a therefore, what do you do? You look and find out what it's there for. Okay? So whenever you see it there for, you look to see what it's there for. So we go back. And I'm cutting halfway into uh, a, a series of statements that Jesus is making. So we go back to verse 19. We'll find a little bit more about what he's referencing here. The therefore. 
Verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And then it says, verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So now we kind of, it starts to make a little, starts to clear a little bit here. The word anxious being divided, being pulled apart, Jesus is referencing, right? The very, a few, just verses earlier, he's saying, you're going to be divided. You can be divided in, in, in searching for money or serving God, serving money or serving God. As a matter of fact, if we go a little bit farther back in the passage in Matthew 6, at the very beginning it says, beware, 6 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. So he's saying here, when you practice righteousness, are you practicing righteousness? Are you doing righteousness for God or are you doing righteousness to be seen by others? There's a division there. There's division. And then he also talks about prayer. When you pray, don't pray on the street corner to be seen by other people, but you pray in your closet to God. Again, a division there. You're trying to do two things here. You're dividing yourself here. You want to, be, you want to pray to God, but you also want the praise of men in your prayer or fasting. If he says it later on in fasting. If you're fasting, you don't fast and let everybody know, oh, I'm fasting today. You don't publicly acknowledge this to try to do something spiritually, try to do something materially or physically, you're dividing yourself. You're in, it's, it's pulling yourself apart. Pulling yourself apart. So now jumping back to verse 19. Verse 19. He is, uh, uh, some scholars, and I, I tend to agree with them, that the first part, 19 to 24, he's talking in, in a mass of people, and he's directing this, Toward those people that actually have some money, that actually have some wealth. And don't store up for yourselves treasures on this earth. And he's addressing these people. And he's trying to address, as he sees, and he looks out over the people, and he sees their, you know, their lives, and he sees how they're living, and he brings that up. Boom. So he's addressing the the. the the dichotomy, the, the desire to serve God, but the, also the desire to serve your pocketbook, to, to struggle for, for God, but also struggle for money. So when he gets to verse 25, where we're at, it changes a little bit. Changes a little bit. Because as he's teaching, and as all these people are gathering around him, they're all different walks of life. He sees not only the people that are well off, that are dressed nicely, but he sees the people that are not so well off and that are not dressed so nicely. And he, see, he sees that they are, they have anxiousness, not just about what they're going to, you know, how much they have in their 401k, but even where they're going to find their food, where they're going to find the, the appropriate clothing. And he, and he change shifts a little bit, but he still has the same theme, that our, our minds are divided. He says, therefore, do not be anxious, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink. For those people that are, that are space filler inners, I know that people like space filler inners, it's not about, it's not about not worrying, not being anxious about what you eat or drink. Not about what you eat or drink. That's in verse 25b and 26. And he gives an example that everyone can understand. Uh, it was cold. It's been cold the past couple of weeks and such. It's fluctuating. But I'll go outside and I'll look out the window of my house and I'll see thousands and thousands of birds. You ever see those little birds? They all kind of get together. It's like, man, can't you just be individual? Y'all got to you know, fly around together and land and stuff. And I would walk out, sneak outside, sneak outside, and I would try to sneak up on these birds. Just, to, I don't know, it's weird. And I would sneak up on them and it's all quiet. And then uh, I would like make a move and they would all just fly off. And if you've, have you ever been in the presence of all these, of a bunch of birds when they all take off at once? It is an, an amazing sound. The whoosh of, of all these little wings flying off. I, I consider myself a little bit of like a bird watcher. I like watching birds. I can look off in the distance and see if it's a duck or if it's a goose 
or if it's a dove, or if it's a crow, uh, or if it's a buzzard, just by the wings, by the pattern of the wings, the wing patterns. And uh, I'm sure these people were outside and they could understand the analogy that Jesus was making here. He says, take a look. Look at the birds. Let's just look at the, look at the birds. Verse 26. He says, They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Little holdover from addressing the storing up money for yourself, serving God and money. You know, he says, look at the birds. Look at the birds. They don't have little tiny, little tiny barns that they go and they put stuff in. You know, they don't sow and reap. They don't, they don't work hard and plant things. And then when, it, when the harvest time comes, they don't get their little bird utensils out and start you know, chopping stuff down and bringing it in and putting their storehouses. They don't do that. And yet, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Your work, I want you to think about this. The work that you do in your life, your work, whatever you do, your work, do you think your work gives you your food? Do you think your work, I fall into that trap sometimes. Like, you know, the money in the bank, I'm, you know, I'm buying this, I earned it. You know, but really, you know, where did I get this? Where did I get this from? This comes directly from God. The, the, the toil, the sowing and the reaping that you do, it is a, it, even that is a gift, a gift of God. You did not provide it for yourself. God, in his graciousness, in his, him being the provider, God being the provider, he gives it to you. All the way down, from high and mighty Billy, all the way down, these little birds that hang out together. And God provides for these, how much more valuable. He gives the argument of lesser to greater. These, you know, God loves these precious little birds. How much more precious are you? You have value. You have value. You are valuable to God. Think about this. No other creature has been created in God's image. No other given a chance to have direct communication with our creator. No other creature has been given the opportunity to have direct communication with the creator of the universe. No other creature can be forgiven, can have the chance to, to call out for forgiveness. And no other creature had Jesus lay down his life for them. That's how valuable you are. That's how valuable you are. But yet we're anxious. We worry. We have stress over, over something as simple as provision. He gives another example. If we move on, he gives another example of clothing. It says, it's, it's not, we should not, it's, we're not called to worry about what, our, what we put on or what we wear. Verse 25, I have 25C. I divided verse 25 up a couple different places. In, in verse 28, it says, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet Solomon wasn't even arrayed like, it wasn't, it, he wasn't even dressed like these. You know, when I, when I was thinking about this, like the daily provision of the food, you know, even when he talks about in Jesus is saying how, how to pray, you know, give us this day our daily bread. And, and these, are, these are things that, we, that we, we need to survive. But the clothing aspect, the covering aspect, the protection aspect of it, the, the view that what other people seeing, seeing you, you know, the clothing that you wear, you know, God, God is the one that clothes you. God is the one that protects you. 
Do you think you cover yourself? Do you think you protect yourself? Do you think that when we walk out in this, in this everyday life, that we are not a moment from, from entering into eternity? God's divine protection is all around us from, from eating too big of a piece of steak and choking a little bit, you know, to driving down the road and, and coming. There's, there's another vehicle, a couple thousand pound vehicle coming within one little line's width of us. You know, and this divine protection, God protects, he, he covers us. He protects us. He cares for us. And it says here in verse, um, in verse, tw- verse 30, it says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the, the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? You know, that's... We can become anxious and worrisome. Remember what the definition of anxiety and being anxious is. Feeling nervousness or unease about an event with, or something with an uncertain outcome. When we become, in our minds, we, we have uncertainty that enters into our minds. And then we start concerning ourselves with this uncertainty. This uncertainty. When Jesus himself just said, hey, you want food? God provides it for you. You want clothing? God provides it for you. But you have little faith. Oh, you have little faith. A couple different times in Matthew, Matthew's, Matthew talks about you of, oh, you of little faith. He talks about it and uh, um, he writes about it in, right here in this passage, Matthew 6, verse 30. He writes about it in um, chapter 8, verse 26, when the disciples were in the boat. Remember that? And the boat was all rocking all over the place. And and uh, Jesus was very tired. Humanity of Jesus coming in here is very tired from doing a lot of work. And he falls asleep on a, on a boat. And he wakes up and he's like, Psh, peace be still. You know, he said, you know, he calls out to this. Why are why, why, you a little faith? You a little faith about this. And like he makes even the winds, winds. He calls the winds to his command. And the next time, it's a boat again, but really it's someone jumping out of the boat. It's Peter saying, hey, um, let me come out to you. And he's walking on the water and then he starts to fall, starts to sink. Jesus reaches out his hand and grabs him. Oh, you have a little faith. I heard someone say that you had to have more faith in yourself in that passage. What a wrong, what a wrong exegesis of that passage. Completely wrong. You have a little faith to trust in God's provision to trust in God's provision. And the last was pretty interesting. It's verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 8. And Jesus is talking about, talking about be careful of the Pharisees and, uh, and the Sadducees because a little leaven, you know, can, can get in and, and contaminate all the bread, you know, raise the whole bread. And uh, for, for lack of going into it, the, the, the disciples are like, do we need bread? I guess, do we need, we need to get some bread? Is that what we need? We ain't got no bread. We don't have bread. And Jesus is like, oh, fellas, you have so little faith to not even comprehend what I'm saying? You know, be careful of what the Pharisees and Sadducees are saying. So all those times when he says, are oh, you a little faith? It's not that he's condemning. It's not he's saying, oh, you just, you don't have enough faith. You don't have enough faith. You don't have enough faith. You know? You'd worry less if you had more faith, you know. Uh, you know, he's not saying that. He's trying to give them encouragement, he's trying to encourage them. Oh, you know, I I will provide. God is the provider. I will provide. You little faith. You just mm, just understand. I am the one. I'm the one. I will I will provide the clothing. I will provide the calmness in the storm. I will provide the the ability for you to to handle and not sink under circumstances. I'm the one that will provide protection from, false, from falsity. I'm the one. I'm the one. Give you a little faith, encouragement, like kind of spurring on, to gently nudging, bringing them up. So we have these two main things. And really he wraps it up into life, actually. He says, not even, not even to worry about your life. In verse 27, it says this. And which of you, by being anxious or worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Can any of us add a single hour to our life by worrying about it? 
you know, if I try really hard, if I worry really, really hard, then maybe I'll add an extra day to my life, an extra hour to my life. It's impossible. It's impossible. God is in control of this. We know this in Psalm 139. I use it a lot because it's a great passage. You know, he knows when I rise, when I sit down, when I go out, when I come back. He knows the words on my tongue before any of them were ever formed. All the days were ordained before me before any of them ever came to be. So he has our days set out before us. So he's asking the people that he's teaching, how can being, how can worrying about your life add more to your life? It won't. It won't. It won't. There's an analogy about, about fog. And uh, if you were to take seven city blocks, I'll take a, a general city, seven city blocks covered with fog, 100 feet deep. Okay, so imagine you're covering, you can have the ability to cover seven city blocks in fog, 100 feet deep, 100 feet deep, thick fog. If you take all that fog and and squish it into one location, it's about the size of a cup of water. One cup of water. Just one cup of water that has been, and I actually wrote it down, uh, that has been spread out into 60,000 million droplets. 60,000 million droplets. A cup of water. Worry is small, in comparison to the damage that it can that it perceptively do, the perception of it, you know, you cut through fog. We can cut through fog. It's a glass of water if we have the right perspective over this, over what it is. But often, because of our uncertainty, because of our wanting to be the providers, us provide. We want to be in control that we let worry permeate, permeate through all the aspects of our life, all the aspects of our life. And yet it still can't add, it still cannot add one single hour to your life. My mom, my mom's here uh, this morning, and my mom would always say this, and we just kind of joke about it. And I'm not going to tell a spanking story about me being whipped, mom. Just be safe. That's not going to do that. Um, whenever I would come home from college, I'd talk to her on the phone or whatever. Or actually, it was still when I travel. She would say, I have to what? Worry you home. I got to worry you home, Billy. I got to worry you home. So my mom would, my mom would, would worry me home. And I would be, you know, being the son, I would always say, well, well, man, if I'm dead, then I die and I'll be in heaven. It'll be great. You know, Mom, don't say that, Billy. But often we do, you know, that's just a, a, a little saying that, you know, just a little saying that mom would, would use. But really, don't we all do that? Don't we all do that? I've got to worry this so it works out. I got to worry this to work out. I got to stress on this. I got to be anxious about this so it'll work out. And really, it doesn't really, it doesn't really amount to that much. So now we've come to the point where the answer for anxiety. I know you guys are on the edge of your seat. What's the answer to anxiety, Billy? What's the answer? What's the answer? And here Jesus comes in and he gives an answer. It might not be the one that you want. But it will be the answer that is true and that you need to hear. That you need to hear. The answer is not escape from worry or stress or anxiousness, but it's placing the priority on what matters and what doesn't. Placing priority on what matters. Because here's what he says here in Matthew 6, verse 33. But, or uh, rather than, rather than, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. All these things will be added, to you, added unto you. Here's what we need to do. We need to place the priority as the priority. 
We need to put the first thing as the first thing. And he says, but seek first the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So the next question is, awesome. What's the kingdom of God? So I can put it first. In reality, the kingdom of God is not a geographic location. It's not, it's not Canada or, you know, or wherever, you know. It's not a geographic location. Think of it like a dominion or a rule, the kingdom of God. God's kingdom, it's hard for us to understand it because we don't live in, in kings and, you know, and underlings and servants and ambassadors and things. We don't live in this, this, this genre, this time period right now. But if we think about it, the kingdom of, of God is where he is the ruler. He rules. So we seek, first thing we seek is his rule. We seek his rule. Because there's peace in his rule. If anyone's in the military, you know standard operating procedures. SOP, SOP, SOP. Standard operating procedures. You do this, you do this, you do this, you do this, and this outcome happens. And they've written it out like that, and you just trust it. You trust the procedure. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, this happens. Think of it as in 100% obedience to God's rule. Because there is peace in it. There is peace. All I know to do is love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love my neighbor as myself. That's what I'm going to worry about. That's the, first thing, that's the only thing I'm going to do. I'm going to love God with all my guts. I'm going to love all the people just like, I'd want, just like I want God, just like I know God loves me. I'm going to love everybody else. I'm going to focus on that. Because there's peace in, the, in that rule. And there's peace in his way, in God's righteousness, his righteous ways. I want to read to you Acts 20. And there's, there's, a, pet, there's a verse there where Paul is leaving, I believe he's leaving the Ephesians. And this is what he says in Acts 20, verse 24. But I don't account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only... I may finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He says, apart from that, I don't have any value, but in that, I have great value. I don't count myself for anything apart from this. He's like, I'm, I understand what God's kingdom is, his rule is, and I'm gonna live in that. And I'm gonna live in his way. I'm gonna live it his way. So the answer not only is to seek first the kingdom, but I also want to look at Jesus because I can never, you can never go wrong by looking to Jesus as an example. And Jesus gives us an example to follow. And it's actually in Matthew, believe it or not. Matthew 4, at the bottom you see, to seek God's kingdom and God's will. Matthew 26, we know he was struggling in the garden. He's like, not my will, but yours be done. Matthew 4, when he was struggling, again, he was, he was, he was stressing. He was in a stressful situation. Out in the desert, 40 days. What did he do when he was tempted and we had struggles? He ran to God's word. Ran to God's word. And what did he do when he heard that his, one of his close friends, his cousin, really, was killed? He took some time out. He went by himself. And he spent some private time with God. Spent the private time with him. So, the answer to anxiety... You may not like the answer, but it's, it's the answer that God gives, the one that I'm going I'm to land on, I'm going to lay my life on, that I'm going to seek first his kingdom, I'm going to seek his righteousness, his rule, I'm going to let him rule over every part of my life, and I'm going to be obedient to it. His way, Paul gives it, gives it to us in Acts 20, that he's going to, I'm going to follow the way that God has designed of letting everybody know about the preciousness of salvation in his son, the good news. I'm going to run to his word like Jesus did. I'm going to run to him and talk to him about my struggles. And I'm going to, I'm going to seek, seek his will to be done in my life. Paul lands, Philippians 4, he speaks of, he speaks of this same exact word. If I can find it in my notes. I'll turn to it. Actually, it's Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7. Let's all turn to that. 
as we close. And the outcome, as we look at this, the outcome of of having the right mentality. Is stress going to be, am I saying you're not going to have stress in your life? I'm not, am I saying you're not going to have anxiety? You're not going to have worry? No, no. But I'm saying there's a, there's a direction that we can go to help handle this. Uh, it's not that we're going to be free from this, but how, we can, but how, how God is, has designed us to handle it. It says in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Marin Mayo, be, be pulled apart about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Go to Him. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, you know, in this world you'll have trouble, you know, but I've come that you may have peace. Take heart, I've overcome the world. You can't control the troubles of this world, but you can control your obedience to the creator of this world. And when you seek him in your anxious times, Will you seek him and run to him and let him give you that peace that passes all understanding? I hope that we put it into practice. I pray, God, that I put it into practice. I hope that we all do. Let's pray. You've given us your word. We don't have to be uncertain about your promises, Lord. We don't have to be uncertain about what you provide for us. We don't have to be uncertain about the control that you have over our life. There is freedom in that, God. Thank you so much for giving us your word, the perfection of your word, the perfection of your son, to give us the example of how to live in stressful moments and hurtful moments. I pray, Lord, that we would live, even though, we, even though many, of us, many of us deal with anxiety, and it's this season, Lord, the season where other people are hurting, that you would help us to rest in your truth, rest in your love, rest in your and the knowledge that you will take care of us and give us that peace that passes understanding. I pray that we would, we would give that peace to others that so desperately need it. And thank you for giving it to us. I pray all these things, your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen.